talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Buckeye Talk team of means Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and this is your Thursday pod. We're going to be projecting 2024 starting offense with a little game I'm going to call Is It or Is It Not? As in, is this current starter currently on the roster or is it not? And why this matters is because the transfer portal is now a fundamental part of college football. In fact, Ohio State seems to be getting involved with it in some ways or not, both in losing guys to the portal and also adding guys to the portal. So off the top, just some news stuff real quick. And this one only matters because Ohio State has to play them next year. Nathan, Julian Fleming, five-star recruit, the top wide receiver in the country in 2020. And it was a big deal when they got him. I think he was the third five-star wide receiver the program had ever landed behind Jalen Marshall and then Garrett Wilson, of course, who committed in 2019. And it was a really big deal. Obviously, his career didn't turn into him being a first-round draft pick, but he was a key contributor, at least the last two years. And really, before that, he'd had moments before that. But it was a big deal that they got him out of Pennsylvania because they stole this kid away from Penn State, which was 90 minutes away from his house. And now Penn State... Finally, five years later, <laughs> it's Julian Fleming in a situation where we felt like this year, one of the things that was missing from Penn State was a wide receiver, and they just took the guy who was wide receiver three for Ohio State from, for the last two seasons. Yeah, as I, as I said in the text that I sent out, it's one of those things where, as with a lot of transfers, it doesn't feel like a huge loss for Ohio State. It feels like Ohio State has its plan in place to replace him because they thought it might have to after this year anyway if it's it's only been here for four years they weren't expecting julian fleming to be here forever but it feels like a potentially big addition for penn state because just imagine if penn state had had julian fleming this past season like he could have helped make just even the ohio state game closer by being a competent receiver on the field what he has left i don't know i don't know i don't know how to really evaluate him as a player at this stage it's tough because he really looked good, even though he and he even started the 2022 season with an injury and still came back and had a really productive year with CJ Stroud. And this past year, the connection with Kyle McCord didn't really ever seem to be there for whatever reason. And then it just never kind of got on track. It was from a production standpoint, a receiving production standpoint, um, was not there. I think you saw in some ways where they missed him in the cotton bowl, as far as like getting some extra blocking on the perimeter and things like that. But that's as much as they like to tout those things. That's, that's a secondary concern. You will trade some blocking for a, a more dynamic receiver. And I think Ohio state probably can find that internally with the group that it has for next season. Um, whether that's Jaden Ballard stepping up to another level, although Ballard could beat out Fleming before, or whether that's one of these younger guys taking a, a bigger role as well. So that's one. The other one is Jesse Mirko, who's going to Vanderbilt. That's the. I think that's the most recent news things that have happened since the last time you've heard our voices. Uh, we're recording this before Tyreek Williams makes his announcement announcement at five p.m. on Wednesday. So I think we're all assuming that maybe he's coming back, which would be a big deal for Ohio State's defensive tackle depth. And if he doesn't come back, then it's a big hit to Ohio State's defensive tackle depth. That's the essence of the analysis there and we'll probably get more into that once we've actually heard that so that will probably be said on the Friday pod anyway when we get into defensive stuff but let's get into projecting the 2024 starting 11 on offense this past year it was quarterback Kyle McCord running back Travion Henderson 
X receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., Z receiver Julian Fleming, who have we mentioned isn't going to Penn State. Slot receiver Emeka Buka, tight end Kate Stover, left tackle Josh Simmons, left guard Donovan Jackson, center Carson Hensman, right guard Matthew Jones, and right tackle Josh Fryer. Of that group, we're expecting Marvin Harrison Jr. to be the ex receiver for an NFL team to be named later at this point. So he's definitely gone. Julian Fleming, as we just mentioned, he's at Penn State now. So that's two of your three receivers that are gone. Cade Stover is graduating and moving on to the next level. So he's gone. And that's for sure. Everybody else, and Kyle McCord, oh, yeah, if, just in Duh. case you live under a rock, he is now at Syracuse. So and Matt Jones. Of, so, and Matt, Matt Jones Jones is also graduating. So that's of that's one, two, three, four, five, six potential returners in 2024 for this offense, Nathan. And I asked the Texans all these questions, 2614-350-3315, and it's just simple yes or no's, and we can break down things as we get into things, but – Let's start with quarterback. As of right now, the expected people to be in the room are Devin Brown, who will be a third-year guy, Lincoln Keenholz, who are going into his second year, and five-star Aaron Nolan as a true freshman. That's expected to be the room right now. Now there are developments going on with Kansas State's Will Howard on down the line. But right now, as we're recording this pod, that is a fact that those three are expected to be in the room when they start winter workouts in January. When you look at that group, do you think Ohio State starting quarterback in 2024, and let's just mark because things can change when they take the field against Akron for the starting for the opener? Is Ohio State starting quarterback right now currently on its roster between its 2024 recruiting class and the guys expected to be back? No, probably not. I think the fact that Will Howard is visiting Ohio State this week, and actually by the time you guys listen to this, who knows? Maybe he's committed. It's not that simple. It's not that simple because I think Ryan Day had to go find someone else for this room to bolster things and help give some certainty to next season. I think the Cotton Bowl showed that. And I think the fact that Devin Brown has kept getting hurt, it, I'm not going to blame him for that, but it's it number one, has held back his development, and number two, it makes it hard to really bank on him for the future. So if if Ryan Day were looking on film and, and looking at Will Howard and just saw another version of Devin Brown, I don't know that he would – maybe he wouldn't even be inclined to do this. The fact that he's coming in, I think, tells you that, that Day is probably not guaranteeing him this job, that there's probably going to have to be a competition, but that he'll be in a good position, if he, assuming he comes here, to – to take this job. So Will Howard, Andrew, uh, 219 or 357, that's 61.3 completion percentage for 2,643 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. He was only sacked 16 times, which is pretty impressive. Only 16 sacks for a starter. When you look at him and just the reality of the situation, that dude's leaving a job where he was a starter. And so he more than likely is not going somewhere where he is not at least a front runner, whether he actually wins the job or not. And then you look at what the room is supposed to be in terms of expected people right now. Do you think Ohio State starting quarterback is currently on the roster? And that means those three guys already expected to be here in January. I think, yeah, like Nathan was saying, I think the the fact that Ohio State's taking a visit at this point kind of indicates that they are looking to upgrade um, or what they think would be an upgrade. Um, you know, you look at kind of Will Howard, for example, I think the the numbers with McCord are actually really interesting. Um, at Kansas State, 
the the numbers were for for Howard and McCord were were pretty similar. Howard's completion percentage sixty one point three, McCord sixty five point eight. In terms of yards per per attempt, Howard was down uh, one point. They're actually not yards. that similar. They're not that yeah, similar. Yeah, fair. No, uh, they are threw a lot for. Better. Yeah, McCord threw for 24 touchdowns and Howard threw for 24 touchdowns and then McCord threw six picks, Howard threw 10 picks. Like the 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 thing with Howard would be that you get a little bit more of a running aspect. Um, He rushed for 351 yards and nine touchdowns in 2023. So the the you'd be basically banking on with Howard, you'd be banking on the. Come play with some five star receivers and get better and come play for you know a running back or come play with a running back behind you that is better than Kansas State and come play for I'm not going to say offensive line that's better than Kansas State but come play for the skill position guys that are better and and see if that see what that does to your numbers so um the numbers in terms of Howard and McCord are actually not as drastic as you might think like Nathan was saying they're they're not at all or they're not super similar they're um I am curious to see like what kind of evolution Ohio State's offense could take, but if that's the case, it just kind of sounds like they view Will Howard as an upgrade over what Devin Brown could be if they want to take Will Howard because you're talking about a guy who runs the football, who, you know, is that kind of dual threat player. He's not this generational five-star who's going to come in and throw for 4400 yards and be the number 2 pick in the draft, but it sounds like there's a guy that, you know, they like having that dual threat element and that's what they would want. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this turns out, but I, I, I do not think Ohio state's quarterback is currently on the roster. If you go back and look at the junior year stats for Howard, they're a little bit better or not, not junior year, but last year stats for, for Howard, um, mm-hmm. the, the yards per attempt go up to, I think like 8.2. That's a little bit 8.2, better. Yeah. His, his quarterback rating goes up instead of being a, like a flat 140, it's closer to 150. Again, those numbers are below what McCord did, but McCord had Marvin Harrison Jr. McCord had the Ohio State yeah. system, which is a system that that tends to have a high baseline for quarterback production. Um, so th- he had those things going for him. And it, I, I, I want to make sure, maybe we should decide this as a staff. Like, are we calling players like Will Howard dual threat? Because I don't think I would call him dual threat. I would not call Devin Brown dual threat. I would call him a pocket passer who can run. But, uh, I would yeah, reserve dual threat for people who are going to run a lot and maybe be almost featured as runners and also pass. So, well, the the problem is like Comicor, like I understand the NCAA does it very dumb and they take sack yards into account for rushing yards. Mm-hmm. So Comicord had negative 65 rushing yards. Um, Comicord yes. did not take the snap and run backwards 32 times. But I, I look at, so I, I don't know. I'm just saying that just because know, someone runs more than Common Core doesn't mean they're dual yeah. threat. Sure, so, but like, I think I, think I, the I point don't think that you can bucket to put them in the same bucket. I would call him dual threat. I don't think I mean he's not Justin Fields the athlete, but like the way Justin Fields ran in 19 is very similar to I think how Will Howard ran. Here are the numbers for Justin Fields running in 2019: 137 carries, 484 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Will Howard. Had 81 carries, 351 yards, and nine touchdowns. I think that's just just the way they'll use it more than about um, just like the upside. Yeah. No, they're probably not going to – Will Howard's not going to have a game where he runs it 20-plus times like you could realistically do with a guy like Justin Fields or even like a Lamar Jackson or somebody – or even a Kyler Murray or something like that. No. But 
he is somebody where you can at least open that part of the playbook if you wanted to pull it out in certain instances. And all those quarterback rushing numbers are are, are tough if you're not adjusting for sack yardage because I think pretty sure yeah. Justin Fields took more than 16 sacks that year too. And I'll take he Justin got sacked Fields in a 40 yard yeah. dash over over Will <laughs> yeah. Howard any day. Um, I might take Justin Fields with like <laughs> with like one shoe off in a 40 yard dash yeah. over, over Will Howard and. But I just want to make sure, like, Jalen Hurts was a dual-threat quarterback. And yes. Justin Fields, I would almost, eh, is closer to a dual-threat quarterback. I, I think I want to make sure that we're just how we talk about people is, because there's a then there's a whole section of, like, you know, Trevor Lawrence was not a dual-threat quarterback, but he would run the ball. Like, he would get out and run with it a little bit. I just wouldn't necessarily call him dual-threat. Like, dual-threat to me is more... It, it it really needs an emphasis on the the running part of things. We're getting bogged in semantics here. I just I I, I want to make sure because I think sometimes when we talked about Devin Brown, there's a segment of the fan base that expected him to go out and be like a Jalen Hurts or somebody who's going to go out and and mm-hmm. run for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards. That was that was never what he was going to do at Ohio State. And there is a tier above. The mobile passers. I, I think of Will Howard as like a mobile passer. Whereas CJ Stroud, CJ Stroud now these in the NFL seems to be a mobile passer. At Ohio State, I would call him not a mobile passer. I think so, that's what it is. So, so it's, some of this is usage. Some of this is is the style that you're allowed to play. But I also just want to make sure that from athletically, I don't want to give people the the idea that Will Howard is something he's not. CJ Stroud might be the model. It's like. Because CJ showed us in the Georgia game, if I have to do this, I can do it, guys. Okay? It's not, it's not my best, the best thing I do. It's not like we're not going to use it as a weapon. We're not going to run. I'm not, they're not going to run design runs for me 12 times a game. But if I need to go make a play with my legs in a game that's a matchup game, I can do it. And that, that, that Georgia game, all that did that for me when it comes to CJ Stroud was – was validate the idea that this was more about the coaching staff not not letting him run than him just choosing not to do it than anything else. Plus the way Ryan Day talked about it after that Northwestern game. And I think that's what matters is Kyle McCord could not do it in the games where, like, you might have to do it. Devin Brown and Will Howard and Lincoln Keenholz and Aaron Nolan to an extent, those guys seem like guys who can do it if it's necessary, even if it's not, to your point, Nathan, they're not. Justin Fields, I think, had a game in 2019 against Penn State where they were running. It turned into read option at the end of that game. They're not going to do that with Will Howard, but they have to use him. That's that's getting too far down that road. I think the more important thing when you look at the numbers and compare them to Will Howard to Kyle McCord is when you bring up the yards per attempt, that's 1.7 yards better for Kyle McCord. Is that the difference between being in Ohio State's offense or not? Right? How big? How much better are your numbers simply because you're in this offense where there's five star receivers and it's just a better, more sophisticated offense than Kansas State? If Will Howard, if you put his numbers in Ohio State's offense, are they exact? Are they the exact same as Kyle McCord's? Because if so, I don't think that's an upgrade. But if they get better than Kyle McCord's, because Kyle McCord is just the floor of what you can be in Ohio State's offense then I think this is an upgrade regardless. And I, I, the Texas agreed with you guys. 64% said no, the transfer portal will be where it comes from. I sent this survey out in the morning before the Will Howard news broke, so I'm sure that number would be higher than 64% had Texas known ahead of time of like, oh, Will Howard's going to be visiting here very soon. But I, I just think you don't go get a guy who was a starter somewhere else 
who was in the last year of his eligibility to not have him eventually be your starter, even if there is a bit more of a competition. I was going to say, if I could add in about the, um, you mentioned the stats with Kyle McCord. I think you could make the case that if he comes in and posts Kyle McCord's passing numbers, it would actually be a better and more productive version of quarterback for Ohio State than what Kyle McCord was if you post the same number because you're actually a threat to run and you can actually run the ball. Kyle McCord was not running the football, whereas Will Howard will run the football. We have seen that. We've seen it backs it up in his numbers. And if you watch him play, you can see him run the ball. So I think you could make the case that like, if you come in and post Kyle McCord passing numbers with your ability to move a little bit, whether again, the the dual threat debate, the running quarterback debate, however you want to phrase it, he is willing to run like that. That is objectively true. Part of like that is part of his game. And I think that having that element to the offense just in terms of yardage would be notable and impactful, but then what it would do to opposing defenses where now they have to account for a guy. This isn't just, Hey, we can, we, we don't trust this quarterback to run because he's not going to, we don't have to worry about it. If you have to worry about that and you have to account for that 11th guy, then I think that that could change some math. And I think you could actually kind of make that case to me that, if Will Howard shows up and you're just Kyle McCord passing the ball, that's going to be an improvement for 2024. I don't agree with that at all. I think he needs like Marvin Harrison Jr. is awesome, and they sure. maximize Marvin Harrison Jr. He is the only wide receiver that got maximized this year. That's mm-hmm. not you don't recruit a room like that to only maximize one guy. So you it, it can't just be like one read and that's kind of it. If like Emeka Abuka is not open next year, if Emeka Abuka comes back, if Emeka Abuka is not open, then it's just kind of what it is. No, I think the the running is fine, but that's not what matters most here. It's, it's the passing. Can you see the field? Can you make all the throws? And is everybody a threat on the field and not just Marvin Harrison Jr.? Because yeah, that worked against Penn State last year. It didn't work against Michigan. And it's not going to work. You don't have Marvin Harrison Jr. next year. So I don't, whether it's Will Howard, whether it's Devin Brown, Air Nolan, Lincoln Keenholz, they got to maximize the weapons on this offense because you recruit the weapons that you have and you got to use all of them. No, I agree. I mean, they've got to figure out, they've got to give, they've got to go into 2024 with more quarterback stability, more quarterback confidence than they did this past year. And it would seem like going to the portals may be the way to do that at this point. I know that that it's in, in some ways that's too bad for Devin Brown. By the way, I don't think it's a coincidence that these reports of Howard visiting have come out after the transfer portal window closed yeah. because yep. it assures <laughs> that Ohio State, I think, will have all four of these quarterbacks in camp this spring. And then we'll mm-hmm. see what happens at the end of the spring. Um, but I also think, again, the way that the Common Court thing played out, even though there might be some level of, I guess for lack of a better word, desperation that's going on here for Ohio State of having to find someone else to get in this mix, uh, you know, he if he wasn't going to promise the job to, to the incumbent guy, then I don't know that he's going to promise it to Howard either. I think he's going to tell him, come in. You saw what just happened in the cotton bowl. You saw, you can, you can look at film of what Devin Brown was this year, make your own determination, whether you think you're going to win that job. I think that will Howard would probably come in confident that with his experience, and he's got a lot of experience that he could probably win that job. But having said all of that, 
And yes, there are some promising things with this offense next year in that receiving core. And if Trevion Henderson comes back and, and what he and Dallin Hayden could be in the backfield is really intriguing. Cotton Bowl also showed that the offensive line is by no means fixed, that that has to be, and we're going to talk about that more, uh, and potentially just an overhaul there, or at least open all five of those spots up and, and see what happens. Because I don't know that I think that there was any quarterback in the portal this year that without more consistent offensive line play would have really made Ohio State better next year with, with no Marvin Harrison Jr. to throw to. And there's going to be very good receivers to throw to, but there's a difference between being a very good receiver and being third-year Marvin Harrison Jr., two-time unanimous All-American. So maybe the best in the history of the program. And that's the standard everybody's chasing now. So uh, just something to kind of keep in mind that this is one piece of the puzzle. It's a huge piece of the puzzle. It it helps you. It's the piece of the puzzle that lets you see potentially where they put all the other pieces in. But if those pieces are missing, you're still not finishing the puzzle. So I, I want to ask a question to both of you guys about something that Nathan said, because Nathan said, if you're not going to promise the starting job to the incumbent guy, why would you promise it to the transfer portal guy? But if you're advising Will Howard, like if you're an agent for Will Howard and you know that he might not get the start at Ohio State, but he could get a guaranteed start elsewhere. Like what like what's the pitch there to Will Howard? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do well, you how do you bring in a player when you are not guaranteeing anything to that player? Because that you could have that guy come in for spring practice. He could miss the boat entirely and he might have to transfer out if he's not going to start or he could go somewhere else and get a guaranteed start. Like, how do you guarantee that without guaranteeing that? I, well, I mean, for one thing, the other thing, and when Pete Thamel reported this this morning, we'd heard this, I think, in the rumor mill earlier, too. We're recording this on, on Wednesdays. He, recorded it, he reported it Wednesday morning. Howard is also considering just going to the NFL now? Yeah. Yeah. So Will Howard sees himself as an NFL quarterback, where the people around him see Will Howard as an NFL quarterback, and Ryan Day typically produces NFL quarterback. So I think that is part of the sell here. Now I know that Lincoln Riley does as well, and he has visited USC, but I don't know USC. An interesting thing happened on the way to 2024, which is USC loses Caleb Williams, but then gets its backup into its bowl game. And then finds out like, Oh wait, this guy's not bad. This guy might Mm -hmm. be our dude for 2024. It got the, uh, he got the audition. I'm I'm forgetting his name as I'm speaking. Yeah. 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 Um, that's a dope name, man. <laughs> it is a, that's name. a quarterback's name, man. It's a, it is a very QB name. But now he got the audition, the full audition that Devin Brown yeah. thought he was going to get in the Cotton Bowl and just didn't come to fruition. And because of that, USC all of a sudden feels like, well, actually, maybe we don't have to go down this route and bring in an outsider. Maybe we can just keep this in house and get a similar level of production without having to shake things up, without having to to make the NIL commitments that it'll take, et cetera, et cetera. And now Ohio State is in the opposite boat. Now Ohio State is in the place where we didn't get any kind of a look at the guy that we hoped would answer our question. And now what other choice do we have except to to really dive in on this and probably pull somebody else in? It's, it's unfortunate the way that this, I mean, there's there's a way to go with this. I, I, I we, we maybe we can maybe we can close on this. I'm just going to throw it out there. But like the more I think about it, this really starts. There's parts of this that start to feel like a 2018 2019 thing in reverse for Ohio State. Yes, yes. 2018, yes. you had this super explosive offense and just a 
historically bad defense. This was not a historically bad Ohio State offense. But that 2018 defense clearly was the thing undercutting offensive performance. And that offense had its own issues, too, with running the ball in red zone. But then 2019, you had this group that had all these questions. And it was a lot of the same guys coming back that had to, like, answer. But you didn't have the Bosa coming back. Like, he was leaving. So that's almost kind of like Marvin Harrison Jr. leaving. And they answered him in, in a big way, 2019. That same group came back and was like, no, no, we got this, and, and played at a, a level almost 180 degrees opposite of the way it had been the year before. And I, that's kind of what 2024 almost needs to be for this offense, to, to be like, especially as it relates to this offensive line, so it's a question maybe more for that group specifically. But like same same batch of guys coming back, what tweaks can be made, and it's going to take some additions like this potentially, but like what tweaks get made that help them make that turnaround. And the thing is, it could have played out like that anyway. It should for Kyle McCord. He could have, I think I said it a lot last offseason, like, dude, Kyle McCord's like a five-star recruit in year three. This kid, And he's coming into a, a, a job where like all the weapons are old. He could easily just have like a Dwayne Haskins year and be a one-and-done quarterback. He was a one-and-done quarterback, just not in like a positive way, in a you know, it just it kind of went the other way in that situation. Andrew, to answer your question in terms of like guaranteeing a job, he didn't guarantee the job to Justin Field either. It's just kind of turn on the film and move right. out the way. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not there's not a situation where Ryan Day is going to bring anybody in here and guarantee them the job. It's just more of a what's understood doesn't have to be explained. That's what I'm and saying. This one like, is a, I, this one is a little bit more complicated yeah. because it's not. Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin. It's, you know, a top 50 recruit, a five-star freshman, and a second-year guy who was from South Dakota, but you're really high on. So it's just a more talented room that will, if Will Howard comes here, like to Nathan's point, he could just pull a Cam Ward and do all this and then go pro. That That's on the table as well. But it's, it's not guaranteeing the job. It's just go watch the Cotton Bowl, Will Howard, and you tell me about how you feel about your chances of winning this job. That's, I think, the best message yeah. that Ryan Day can give to any quarterback is like, do you think you can be better than what you saw on December 29th? If so, and we think you're a good fit, come on down. If not, then we're going to roll with the guys we have in this room. Yeah. But from out of all this, they're going to find a quarterback. I think we have just all agreed here and the Texers, 64% of which at least that that person that they're going to end up finding isn't currently on the roster and is probably going to come from the transfer report. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, I, I think it's just a it's a tough situation because you want to get like if you're gonna start a portal guy, you want that portal guy to get reps, right? You don't want to have a situation where you know you bring in a portal guy. Let's say it's Howard and Howard and um, Devin Brown are splitting reps all camp and ever or all spring ball, and then you throw in Keen Holtz every once in a while, and Keen Holtz is getting there, and then you get to the end of the spring, and you're like, okay, well, Will Howard's the best of our our bunch, and he he hasn't had a true number one spring yet, and now I don't we think have that to, matters that much. I think it does spring. a little bit. 15, I think you want to get that guy as many reps practice. as possible. It's fourteen practices in a spring game. I don't think sure. like, he's not going to pick a quarterback at the end of the spring anyway. He's going to he was right. not going to announce who the starter is until a week and a half before they play the first game anyway. So like I I understand what you're saying with getting as many reps as possible. I think that for me is going to apply more to fall camp than it is in spring practice when it's just more install and teaching anyway. And, and, the, regardless of what it's going to, of like who ends up being in this quarterback room. Yeah, I hear you. It's just I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of Will Howard or like somebody representing Will Howard or like Will Howard's family. Like 
if you know that you are not going to have a starting job, it's set in stone at Ohio State, and you know that you can just go to the NFL. Now, that's a tough. That's a tough decision to make. I'm not saying it's it's a layup you go to the NFL or anything like that, or even it's a layup you go to Ohio State. I'm just trying to say that like it's a really difficult decision when you're talking to Ryan Day. If you don't get the yeah, man, you're going to take the first snap of spring practice and you're going to be our guy going into spring practice. Now, if you lose the job, there's nothing I can do, but you're going to be the guy that we lean on going into spring ball and you're you're going to come in as the number one quarterback. Like If I'm Will Howard and I'm hearing that, I, I'm not saying you say no. I'm just saying I would have some reservations if that's not the conversation. That's all. Well... We don't have to make that decision, Will Howard. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move forward. Like, I don't know what to tell you about that one. <laughs> let's just move on to running back. This is assuming Travion Henderson does come back, because that's how we have to play it right now until that changes. Are we all saying that the guy who is currently on the roster would be Ohio State's starting running back? Well, regardless of whether Travion Henderson comes back or not, do we think Ohio State's starting running back in 2024 is currently on the roster? I don't think we go into any of these categories assuming that someone's coming back. I think the answer is whether you think he's coming back or not. It's true. If, yeah. So yes, I think Ohio State's. I think Ohio State starters on the roster, and I think it's Trevin Henderson. Or it's it's Devin. It's Allen Hayden if it's not. So either way, yeah. they're starters yeah. on the roster. If if Trevin Henderson doesn't come back, they need help. They got to go get more running backs. Yeah. But I don't know that they're going to get anybody of the caliber that would be ahead of Dallin Hayden on opening day. Yeah, really simple. Uh, Trey, and then if Henderson's not back, it's Dallin Hayden. Um, but like Nathan said, if Trevion goes, and even if Trevion stays, you might need help there. But either way, like Trevion goes and Dallin's number one, you're you're bringing in somebody, but that guy's not going to start. So yeah, I think I think this is the position I feel best about on, on the offense. Uh, maybe 97. Not, but it's one of them. 97% of our texters also said yes, and I'm assuming it's for the same reasons. This is one of those spots, though, Nathan and Andrew, that I think regard whether it's now or it's in the spring, they just kind of probably need to go find a guy regardless just because of the history of that room and the health situation. Is there, there There's some roster management that's got to happen. I know that we're doing this exercise talking about the starting unit, but there's – with some of these spots, the conversation is more about the depth issues and get what this roster is going to look like by the time fall camp starts and they're at 85 and making sure they just have the numbers in each room that they need from a depth situation to get through a year where, I mean, it's a long season. And then if you're trying to win a national championship, it just got that much longer because it's a 12-team playoff now. Let's take a break there. That quarterback conversation, I mean, that was – about expected it was going to go long because running back one was going to take two minutes we're going to take a quick break there and then when we come back we'll get into the other skill positions and then obviously we're going to save the offensive line for last because that one will be fun so we'll get more into that stuff when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. our first week back on the pod and it's a lot of texture involvement in a lot of these stuff i've been sending surveys out the last couple of days here for all these pods if you want to be on those 614-350-3315 we do surveys we text news we text analysis we interact with people every so often when they ask us questions. And we do everything under the sun with the survey. It's a two-week free trial, and it's $3.99 after that. And why this window matters is because there's transfer portal stuff happening. There's coaching changes allegedly happening. At least we're still waiting on those as we're recording this pod. There's commitments and recruit stuff happening. There's never a bad time. And that's why it's a good time right now. It's 614-350-3315. I mentioned this before, their wide receiver, starting wide receivers the last two years have been Marvin Harrison Jr. at X, Julian Fleming at Z, 
Emeka Buka at H with Xavier Johnson kind of sprinkled in there as well as their fourth guy once Johnson Smith the Jigba went down there. Julian Fleming's at Penn State now. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be more of a millionaire than he already is. He's headed to the NFL. And that leaves potentially Emeka Buka with a decision to make. And so, but also you've got Carnell Tate, you've got Brandon Ennis. I know you've lost Bryson Rogers and Noah Rogers to the transfer portal already, but you've got Kojo Antwi, you've got Keon Grays, and then you've got two freshmen coming in, Jeremiah Smith, the number one player in the country, who will be here in January, and then five-star Mylon Graham, who will be here in June. When you look at that group, Nathan, is it pretty – if you had to say of those three spots – that they start wide receivers at, are you pretty confident that all three of those spots are going to be occupied by guys currently on the roster? Yeah. I don't know who we think is out there in the portal that that mm. supplants the talent that Ohio State has. Because that's really what we're talking about now. It's, yeah. They have to be, are they getting somebody from the portal for right. these positions? Now, I do think, as we talked about the other day, and as I wrote about for our site, I do wonder if Hartline is going to have to finally reach into that portal and pull somebody out Mm -hmm. just to help from a depth standpoint, especially if they have any further attrition. You've got a couple of guys in that room who are going into their third year and who don't have roles yet. And those are the kind of guys who sometimes maybe at the end of the spring decide to move on. Um, We'll see I'm just in, in general, those are guys that I have no, no, no personal uh, information about their decisions. But in general, guys who get to their end of the third year and don't see playing time or to the start of the third year and don't see playing time tend to move on. So there could be more attrition there, which would mean if that post spring at the latest, Ohio State might have to look in the portal. But starters, no, I think their starters are the starters, either the starters from the Cotton Bowl or unless Brandon Ennis makes a move and and takes a job. Or Jeremiah Smith or Jeremiah Smith. Yeah, and J- and J- Jaden Ballard, I forgot to mention him as well. I think this just might be the one spot where I'm pretty confident to say, yes, it's going to be guys currently on the roster. I don't know what that world looks like at like, any even time. Even if Abuka left. Yeah, like, but I'm just... They're I'm, just I'm rolling even, with the guys, I think. I'm, I'm just thinking even like two years from now, like what that would look like if Ohio State has to go find a wide receiver in the portal. And I know there's some talented guys in the portal right now, so they're starting caliber wide receivers. It's just... The way this room is recruiting, I mean, you just lost three guys to the transfer portal, and you're like, eh, okay, that's fine. We'll just start this five-star instead of that five-star. Andrew, are you in line with where Nathan is in the Texas as well? 92% said all three are yes. 8% said only two are, though. But are you in line with that thinking? Yeah, I mean, who are you going to get in the portal that's better than three of what Ohio State's recruited, right? Like who who are you gonna find? Like even if Emeka doesn't come back, like let's say Emeka decides that he wants to be the twenty eighth pick in the draft and go play with Patrick Mahomes, like the, I mean like Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate, Jaden Ballard, Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate, Jeremiah Smith, like wh- wherever you whoever you want to say is you're you're not gonna find somebody that is gonna supplant any of those guys now. Like we've talked about on previous pods, I think it's a different conversation if you want to bring in some depth. I think, Stephen, you said that you maybe need to bring in like a Tristan Jebbia type guy to that position just to fill out the room because you might be kind of down numbers wise. Like only having eight is not good enough. But yeah, it, it, I, I just I, I don't 
I don't even know what the world would look like where you go get a guy out of the portal and he starts over one of the guys you currently have. So I, I'm, I feel remarkably safe that Ohio State's three receivers are on the, uh, on the roster right now. Do we want to do like a way to, since we are saying that's going to be some, one of those eight guys, just a way, way too early projection of who we think starts where? Just to put it on paper here. Okay, actually, let, me, think... let me frame it this way. Let's not, let's not do started with it. When we are in, if, assuming we get to go in there for the first spring practice like we've been able to do lately, who are we expecting to be with the ones and the twos? We'll start with you, Nathan. I think on the first day of spring, I think yeah. it'll be what we saw on the last day of this season. Okay. Would be my guess. I think it'll be, if Abuka's back, it'll be Abuka, Ballard, and Tate. And then I think you would probably see Ennis, Smith, and maybe probably then Kojo one of those third year guys. Yeah, no, maybe no, one of those third year guys. No, Keon. Yeah, probably Keon. Keon Gray's yeah. Probably Keon Gray's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they'd go because because Graham won't be here till the summer. So if you're talking yeah. about spring, it, that's it's probably something like that. Um, now, what we see by the end of the spring could be could be something else. Um but I think if you're going like just based on the way that they usually stack guys up and the way they lean towards experience for the first day of the spring, that's what I would expect. Andrew, for the first day of the spring or the last day of the spring, because the last day of the first spring, day. my answer is different. Okay, uh, first day of the spring, yeah, uh, Ballard, Ibuka, Tate, and then um, you go Innis, you go. Jeremiah Smith and you go probably Keon Gray's like it's the same answer. Um, I think no. at the end of the spring, Jeremiah Smith, I would maybe move him on up, but um, assuming he plays to the level that you expect him to play at, but we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I think it's it's how much would anybody get to show just during winter workouts that separates them from a receiver yeah. standpoint to the top of that. I, I, I don't know. I will say this. Brian Hartline talks about Jeremiah Smith differently than he's yep. talked about any of these guys that have come in ahead of him. That includes mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, number one in his class, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Julian Fleming. Like He talks about mm-hmm. Jeremiah Smith different. So I'm, I, I'm at least open to the idea that from day one or day early in winter workouts, they see enough that makes him obviously different that he makes that early of a move. But it, it's 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 a higher percentage than I usually put on that, but it's still very minimal. So that's why this, this is why I wanted to ask the question. Brandon Ennis hasn't been to, through in a workout yet. And it's and Brian Hartline has gone out of his way, whether it was during the season whether it was in fall camp and then again at bulk practice to make sure of like, that's it's almost like he is telling us the reason why Brandon Ennis is behind is simply because of when he got to Columbus, which is hilarious because we were in the Woody a lot in the spring, Nathan. And like Brandon Ennis was up here like all the time. <laughs> he just like wasn't enrolled in school, but he was here. I think, and that's why I'm inclined to do that. Say this. Brandon, I think Cardinal Tate's going to be at the X. I'm, I'm not worried about that. We talked about Emeka Ibuka as a Z a lot before the Jackson Smith the Jigba injury happened and his versatility as a guy who can play multiple spots here. If Emeka's going to come back, there is value in him being an outside receiver to come back because like that's, I mean, nothing raises your draft stock than being outside. And you can always just put him back into the slot on a game day if you want to because he's Emeka Ibuka. So I would say Carnell Tate at X, 
Emeka Bukadze and Brandon Dennis in the slot simply because he got to go through winter workouts, so he's caught up on everything that he could potentially be caught up in, and he just starts doing stuff in the room and during winter workouts where, like, Brian Hartline is like, I've seen enough, put him up there. I think the Jeremiah Smith, you're right, Nathan, he's talked about him like he's never talked about a recruit, but he's not going to be a recruit anymore, and we know how this works. When they really like a guy, they downplay. Oh, my. Oh, Lord. I remember fall camp 2022. I drove the bus for Marvin Harrison Jr. And I remember going in there and asking Brian Hartline all these questions about Marvin Harrison Jr. And he kept going, ah, he's not that good. He downplayed Marvin Harrison Jr. so much. And I'm looking at Doug and I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm, I'm driving the bus for this kid. They don't want to talk about him at all. He's going to be awesome. And he ended up being awesome. He did the well, same thing with he said the same thing with Garrett Wilson in 2019, where he kept down playing Garrett Wilson, and then Garrett started doing stuff. I think they might slow play Jeremiah Smith in the spring. Maybe I just want to, I want to clarify what I said before though. I don't know the Heartline is on the record talked about Jeremiah Smith differently. It's more away from the cameras, away from the notepads oh, yeah, that he talks yeah, about yeah, Jeremiah Smith differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only point I was making there that that yeah, he has yeah, been pretty yeah. candid about just how good of a prospect he thinks Jeremiah Smith is. So um, there's that. I am also open, and we say this every year, we get caught in this trap every year. I think it is, but I'm the one saying it, so that almost makes it more realistic because I'm the one who's super skeptical about it every year. But this seems like a year where they could rotate more, and it would make they would be rotating from a strength that would make sense, and that it would be a way to get more, and not just rotate more, but that it be, that the positions would mean less. If you start talking about someone like Ennis and someone like Abuka, who have that versatility, and someone like Tate, who I think is just talented enough that if you move him around, yeah. I mean, if they'll put Marvin Harrison Jr. in the slot, um, I think they could do it with anybody. Just about. So I'm open mm-hmm. to that, that if you if you decide, well, we've got five receivers, and yeah, three of them will play more, but we've got five or six and it's unlike see what we I don't think what how state doesn't want a 2019 situation where you have your veteran established receivers I guess Olave was still kind of on the up he was only a second year player but your mm-hmm. victors and your max and your KJ Hills you know reliable guys but probably have a performance ceiling of different levels and then then you've got these younger guys underneath that are just like hammering away like you can't contain them and that's a good thing. It was a better thing for 2020 than it was for 2019. I think what's more interesting is if you find yourself with a situation where there's five or six guys who are all around that same level of experience and performance and the versatility that that gives you and the unpredictability that can give you and the matchups that you can go into games and try to create based on personnel. That That's intriguing to me. Whether they get all the way there, it, it's one of those things that seems fun and they'll talk about it in the spring and they'll talk about it again in preseason camp and every on the beat will write the same two stories. Both times they talk about it. <laughs> and then on August, what or September, whatever, when they play Akron for the first three quarters, it'll just be the three starters. Maybe that happens. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm more open to it than I usually am. Cause I just think it makes sense this year uh, dynamically more than it has ever made sense before. Even the guy who would be returning as the elder statesman established guy there, Ibuka is coming off a year where he didn't play as much because of injuries. And it has never been the alpha guy in the room in the same way. So 
he he wouldn't be taking a backseat to anybody, but I'm just more open to the idea of of there being a little bit more of a share this year. I'm open that's, that's to a, it happening. That's a good July conversation, though. Yeah, I'm open to it happening in September when they're not playing anybody of relevance. When like you don't have to play a Mecca Buka 55 snaps because it's Akron, Western Michigan, Marshall, and Michigan State, so you can kind of figure it out. And then once they go into Iowa and Oregon, that's when it gets serious. And that's when you start to see, you know, a Mecca and Carnell Tate and whoever that third person in snap start to spike up a little bit. But also, I think they might pull guys early. They didn't really pull people this year when games were decided the same way. Um, I think they might pull guys a little bit more this year. But I just think with Jeremiah, they might slow play it in the spring. And then if we walk out there for fall camp and he's the starting X receiver and Carnell Tate's playing opposite of him, I won't be shocked whatsoever. So that's wide receiver. Let's do tight end very quickly. They're losing Cade Stover. They've lost Joe Royer to the transfer portal. They did bring in um, Will Kazmarek from OU as one of their their transfer guys, which I, regardless of had they had done that or not during this pod or not, I don't think it influenced my answer at all. When you look at Will Kazmarek, G. Scott returning, Jelani Thurman, who you think might take a step, Bennett Christian, and Sam Hart is Ohio State's starting to let's just go with the two because they like to do you know 12 personnel a lot are their top two tight ends this year going to be guys who were on the roster currently I think so um I think you can just kind of pick two names out of a hat and say which two it's depends on the formation do you want Jelani Thurman to play with Kazmarek do you want G Scott to play with Kazmarek early do you want G Scott and Jelani Thurman to play like it, it just depends on how you want to do it I don't think that there is a, at least as of now, like I, I wouldn't say that there's like a Cade Stover, you know, solidified, this is our number one tight end. And then we'll kind of see about number two moving forward. I think that there's kind of different personalities and different uh, attributes that you like out of each of these guys. So you can mix it up. I, I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily where we look at running back, for example, and say Trayvon Henderson's the starter, or we look at receiver and we're like, well, two of these guys are the starter and then maybe this guy. I think it's just kind of, it's going to depend on the week. It's going to depend on a lot of different things, but I, I, I just can't imagine they're going and getting another portal guy. Um, you know, you've, you've brought in two freshmen this year, Max LeBlanc and, and Damarian Witten. Uh, I know Witten's more of a project, but even kind of with that considered and with how hard it is to play tight end as a freshman, if you take LeBlanc out, uh, you still have five guys that are coming back on scholarship. Uh, and then you've got the two incoming freshmen. I, I just don't see how you bring in another guy and um, especially after you brought in another one. So yeah, I feel pretty confident that whoever the starters are starter starters, whatever kind of formation group you want to use. I, I think that they're on this roster. Yeah. Agreed. Now, especially now that they've already brought in a transfer, I think they're, they're in good shape now there mm -hmm. as far as numbers. So now it's just a matter of um, is the execution there is the development there that you want. And the big unknown, and I don't know uh, that it will be known until we get to September, maybe even later, is is Thurman like a second year breakout, or are we? Is he still a year away from putting together this whole package? I think I probably lean towards the former. I think there's enough there that. I almost think that Ohio State has to. I feel like we talk about so many young guys that come into the program like this. It's not completely fair. They've definitely had guys who, by their second year, by the end of their first year, even you know Malik Hartford from this past year, uh, Jermaine Matthews, like they've had guys come in and, and they're they're getting them on the field pretty early. 
But there's so many other times where these uber talented first year guys going into that second year, it seems like things you just don't want him to stall out. I think you've got to find a way to, even if it's a niche role, to find some way to take what is what are his clear physical gifts and use him as a weapon. I don't know if I'm worried about it with Jelani. And maybe it's just because Jimmy Rucker got on the field as the sec- second tight end in 2019 in year two as a guy who was similarly ranked that I'm not all that worried about it. Plus, I'm less. It, it's he's in the same environment now as what Jeremy Rucker was in because when you had Luke Farrell and Jake Hausman surrounding that it didn't feel like Jeremy Rucker had to be this complete tight end right because you had other options if you wanted to do other stuff and it does seem like Ohio State's going to have that again this year I thought G Scott was a quality blocker this year was he elite no but I thought he made some strides and if he continues to make those strides you're bringing Kazmerican as a blocking tight end you've got three guys that you can do 12 personnel with and maybe on this play, it's Jelani Thurman and, and Kazmarek. Maybe on this play, it's Kazmarek and G. Scott. Maybe it's Scott and Jelani Thurman. I just think you've basically got three guys you can use for the two spots, and then you can also do 13 personnel stuff. So, I, yeah, I would have said, no, one of these spots is going to be taken by a guy currently on the roster before the Kazmarek news. And so now that he's a part of what's – he's not officially on the roster yet, but he's a part of what you're expecting to have in January, I would say, yes, all the spots will be taken by tight ends. And 85% of our texters said the exact same thing. One more break, and then we get into the the reason why we're doing this part in the first place, and that's the offensive line part of this when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State's offensive line this past year featured a former San Diego State right tackle who they – converted to a left tackle in Josh Simmons, a former five-star recruit, second-year starter in Donovan Jackson at left guard, a second-year Carson Hensman as a borderline top 100 recruit who maybe they weren't expecting to be their starter, but Luke Whipler decided that he'd rather go develop in the NFL for the Cleveland Browns. Well, the Cleveland Browns chose him, but in the NFL, so he ends up being the starter. Matthew Jones as a six-year former top 100 recruit, and then Josh Fryer as a fourth-year guy, lower-rated guy who's kind of developed in that situation. And quite frankly, it was not good enough at all. It, it got better throughout the year, and then it just kind of plateaued in the Cotton Bowl against Missouri, even though Car- Carson Hensman didn't start in that game. But the offensive line as a whole was clearly the problem child of this offense more than anything else. Before we get into just the whether the starter's on the roster or not right now, Nathan, if I asked you right now, how many of those five are still starters in 2024 that you feel safe about saying they're going to be starters? How many would you say? Safe? Um, one. Hmm. I think that Donovan Jackson would still have a job. Um, but I think at each other position... And I'm not saying that Jackson had an amazing season by any stretch, but I think at every other position, you are in a situation where you have to examine whether or not you can upgrade that spot with someone else. And when you upgrade that spot, if you do with someone else, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a place to plug that other guy. The closest to that would probably, I guess, be Josh Fryer. If you decided that there was someone who fit better at right tackle, or if you decided there was someone that fit better at left tackle, and now Josh Simmons were to beat out Josh Fryer at right tackle, uh, I guess you would just bump Fryer inside to guard. He's obviously played guard a lot, and we think that could be a good fit for him. But I think at every spot, you probably are looking at 
I, like I said, I think every starting job has to be relitigated this spring and into preseason camp. Every there should be a five position battle, and maybe if someone like Donovan Jackson wouldn't be that excited to hear that from everything he's done for this program and how long he's been here and the leadership he's tried to take. But I think just from a performance standpoint, that's the way that the, the line has to approach it. Like it's just it's too, it's been too shaky to approach it any other way. And I think if they had come out and been emphatic in the Cotton Bowl, then maybe we wouldn't look at it that way. But they took a step back in the Cotton Bowl, in in uh, obviously. So once that happened, I think everything is on the table and you've got to just reassess it from top to bottom and make everybody prove that it's their spot. So, Andrew, there's eight. Let's start with the tackles. I split this up with the Texers and I want to split it up here. There's eight guys who are expected to be tackles right now as we head into January. And obviously that can change around. As Nathan just mentioned, maybe Josh Fryer goes inside or whatnot. But as of right now, these are the people expected to be tackles heading into January. It's Josh Fryer, Josh Simmons, Zen Maholsky, George Fitzpatrick, Luke Montgomery, Miles Walker, and then the incoming freshman Ian Moore and Deontay Armstrong, one of the twins. When you look at that group, how many of Ohio State starting tackles in 2024 do you think are currently on the roster? Yeah, the, well, the, there's a difference in that are currently on the roster and should be uh, on the roster. I think that there's kind well, of that's maybe, what we're doing. We're I doing know. like so, <laughs> so. I think I think Ohio State. You you kind of look at where you could go. I think you bring in a tackle if you had to bring in kind of one position on the line. So I think you bring in a tackle. So I'm going to say only one. Um, I think, yeah, look, there, there's a, a movie invincible. If you've ever seen the movie, uh, with, um, Vin, uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg playing the Eagles player where the coach looks at the, the guys on the team Vince when they're holding the open tryouts and he goes, he goes, why are you worried? Oh, we were one of the worst offenses in the league last year. Defense wasn't much better. See you boys at camp. And he walks away. That's kind of the way I feel about the offensive line. Like everybody should be worried about their position. But I think tackle is the best way to accomplish that because I think if you bring in a tackle, it can kind of put some puzzle pieces in other places that you might feel more comfortable with. Like, I think if you bring in a tackle and he starts over Josh Simmons and then your other tackles, Luke Montgomery, is anybody going to cry over that? You know, Josh Simmons would not be happy, but is anybody going to be upset if you find a better tackle than Josh Simmons and Luke Montgomery is your best right tackle on the roster? Probably not. I think that that would allow you to do some more things because if you bring in a tackle, you can kick Fryer into guard. Maybe you can play Shibola at guard. You can, you can move around a couple of different things. Whereas I think if you bring in a, um, I, I think if you were to bring in a guard or a center, and I know I'm, you know, putting the cart ahead of the horse here in terms of what we're going to talk about. If you bring in one of the interior guys, I don't know if that helps you kind of move things around a little bit. I think if you bring in a tackle, it's easier for this offensive line and this coaching staff to put some guys into places that are frankly where they should be or what they're going to be most effective at. So I think you bring in a tackle. I think that they're going to bring in a tackle because I think yeah, I, I don't think you could look at this offensive line and say that, yeah, we're just going to bank on improvement and young guys getting better. I, I think you have to make an external addition. So I think you bring in a tackle. I think you it doesn't matter left or right. I think you just got to bring in the best quality tackle you can and you just figure it out from there. So I'm going to say one 
of uh, Ohio State's 2024 tackles are currently on the roster. And, you you know, left or right doesn't matter. You figure it out from there, whether it's Josh Simmons or Luke Montgomery or Tegra Shibola or whoever you want to put there. I think you bring in one. I think one thing we should make sure we mention, as much as we've been uh, speaking doom and gloom about what's going on in the offensive line group after the Cotton Bowl, we're coming up on a, an interesting transition for some guys in that room where they're just because someone wasn't ready in his second year right. doesn't mean he won't be ready in his third or fourth year at, at that position specifically. It's, it's the one position where I'm not sure the, if he barks as a pup, he'll bite is as applicable because it's such a developmental position physically that you have to get guys to uh, such a, a, a specialized place. And so when I hear a name like Tegra Shibola, I imagine he's a different player next year than he was this year, next spring than he was this past spring. You know what I mean? Um, we, when you talk about like Luke Montgomery's only going to be second year, but that first year is so important. And I just named you two guys who were able to get on the field in other capacities this way with the first string offense, even if they weren't playing offensive line, they got into the game in other ways, got into games in other ways. So. Just a thing to kind of keep in mind as we, as much as we have been critical of the offensive line, there could be internal solutions here that weren't, didn't present themselves to the same level as solutions in the past year. So how many do you think are currently on the roster of their two starting tackles? Uh, so they got this guy from Troy that's in visiting. He is allegedly going to be mm-hmm. visiting some other places. His name's uh, uh, um, Derek Graham. He's mm-hmm. visiting as we speak today on Wednesday. Do I? I mean, he started all 13 games for Troy last year. Troy was a bowl team. He's got enough athleticism that he used him in other ways on offense. So I think if that is someone that they bring in, do I think he could beat out the people they have? Uh, maybe. Do but I'm. I guess I'm not sold on it. I think he would be another option, but I guess I'm not sold on it. Um, so I think maybe their two starting tackles are on the roster. Whether that is. Simmons running it back at left and Fryer at right, and you just say, well, another year of starting experience should make them both better, hopefully. Or whether that is where now Montgomery asserts himself. You know, Day was very hesitant to, like, take him out of the starting conversation pretty late in the camp, and maybe that was theatrics, but maybe he really was pushing it to that degree. I I haven't given up on Shibola. Like, Shibola just seems like there's got to be something there, right? Like, with that, that package that of talent and size seems like it should have to get on the field eventually and again in the cotton bowl they used him and i think ohio state maybe is starting to see that so that's four candidates right there from inside who might be better than even a guy who started it on a bowl team it's just it's man things aren't going to be right with this program top to bottom. Like they've got to get out of this situation where we're it's January 3rd. And we're talking about whether they're going to get another group of five offensive tackle transfer. Mm-hmm. Like they, this will be their If they got him, this would be their third offensive line transfer for a team that desperately needs to upgrade talent on the offensive line across the board. And they've all three just been group of five guys who weren't exactly like, blowing the doors off the place the guy they were this guy was 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 solid this year at troy and he's got two years left he's got his own growth that's still ahead of him and you imagine putting him in and the ohio state program would accelerate that potentially so i'm not trying to downplay how good he could be i just it's it's not a sign of health with this program that 
this far along, we're still talking about fishing in the group of five waters as being maybe mandatory for how this team wins games the next year. And that's why when you brought up Derek Graham, and this is, it's not even his fault, but tell me why that's not another Vic Cutler. Like, I just, well, I think he's know? better than Cutler. Like Cutler, okay. Cutler was, and I remember the day that, that all that happened and I put out some texts and I was just very quickly, was just like, listen, again, as we've told you before about the PFF grades, take one game with a grain of salt, but take the bigger view with yeah. a little bit more accuracy. And his, his numbers were terrible. Like he just wasn't, mm-hmm. he just wasn't that good. He just wasn't that good. He was like Ohio state backup quality kind of, but backup such that like filling out the roster, but if they needed another center, it wasn't going to be him. It was going to be Matt yeah. Jones. So, uh, you know, Matt Jones playing center in the bowl game. If Vic Cutler had still been here and hadn't decided to transfer again, Matt Jones still would have been the starting center over Carson Hensman <laughs> in the bowl game. Like he wasn't, he wasn't truly the backup center. So, like at least Josh Simmons had a little bit more going for him, and I think this guy does too. It's just, <laughs> and guys who are leaving Group of Fives are typically doing it because they believe they can level up. They believe they've proved something and and, and can take this shot. And uh, more power to him. And obviously Ohio State, if they get him, would would certainly hope that he does that. It's just, it's not, I go back to the conversation. It was very early on when I joined this this fine program, uh, this program being Buckeye Talk, not Ohio State. Um, Doug brought up the concept of plan A versus plan B. Like where, where where you have a plan A on your roster and where do you have plan B or God forbid some lower letter. And this is not plan A of how Ohio State builds championship offensive lines is to be hoping the right group of five guy goes in the portal and you outbid people for him or whatever. And I don't even think that's reflective of it's not like, oh, that's just how you have to do it now in college football. Like, no, man, like that's not how you build offensive lines that win championships. Uh, I know that Michigan has had success finding guys in the portal for the offensive line, but they haven't been guys who were like borderline starters at Louisiana Monroe and mid middling guys at San Diego state. Ohio state had two plan A's on its offensive line this past year. And that was Donovan. And one of them had to take the long road to development. And that's Matthew Jones and Donovan Jackson. Everybody else was not a plan A. How long it took Matt Jones to break through. Used to be a sign of health for this program. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It wasn't a sign of health that Carson Hensman was out there last year. That Correct. was a sign of of weakness. Not because he is weak. Not because there's something wrong with him. I think he still long term can be a good offensive lineman. It's just it it tells you where the program was with its options at that point. Matt Jones used to have to like scratch and claw to get a snap, mm-hmm. and it took him till fourth year before he really could. And now. You, they're throwing people out there that maybe aren't ready for the task. So if you're going to do that, as we talked before, then you better be really solid at the other four spots. And that wasn't the case this year. So 65% of our texts said only one of our, the two tackle spots are on the roster right now. 25% said transfer portal. 10% said both are yes. I feel confident that Ohio State starting right tackle is on his roster. I feel confident about a lot of these guys and their ability to play right tackle, whether you're talking about Josh Simmons, because he did it before and he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. 
And I think like what he showed as a left tackle this year, if you put that back on the right side, I think it could be pretty quality. Josh Fryer had some really bad, loud moments, but I thought he settled down at times. It just like really got out of control in the Cotton Bowl and then some other moments as well. I mean, Luke Montgomery, it's, it's just a size thing, right? The, the, the reason why they're keeping him out there at tackles is because they think he has the quickness to make up for the fact that he doesn't have length, which I think would make him a perfect right tackle. And this, I think his best position might be center long term, and I've told him that off the air and just in conversation. But if he does have the quickness to be a great right tackle, I'm with you with Tegra Shibola. It, it looks like something. It, that dude looks like he's supposed to be a day one draft pick. So with him, it's almost like a, where is his best fit, though? Because they might not even see him as a tackle. They might see him as a guard in that situation. So that's what makes him so difficult. While the rest of these guys, it's kind of the same thing. I am pretty confident that any of these guys can be right tackles. I think their left tackle just might be in the portal, which makes it even more difficult because the portal, a lot of these tackles have already found spots. Obviously, you mentioned the kid from Troy who's visiting right now. LSU just lost a former five-star recruit in the portal. I we, I'm not saying that Ohio State reached out to that kid, but I'm just saying these are the options at that point. And so I'm confident about one of the tackle spots. I'm not confident so far that both of those tackle spots are going to be guys currently on the roster. And maybe things open up after the spring. I just want to say real quick, too, the, the portal for most teams is closed. For playoff teams, if you just played, it, it does still – you still have some time to get in. So like we're recording this on Wednesday. Alabama's okay. had several guys go in the portal yeah. today, for instance. So there is there there are still going to be some new names available here in coming days. That's fair. Okay, let's do the guards. Uh, Nathan, you kind of gave yours away when you said that Donovan Jackson – So, I, but they still have to replace the other one. Is that for you a – guy currently on the roster i can give off the names as well and as one of them obviously is tegra shibola as i mentioned but the other names enoch vamahi trey larue donovan jackson carson hensman tegra shibola josh padilla austin Cervell, gay van sickle Devonte armstrong the other two and those are the interior guys on the roster from that group do you get two starting offensive guards who are currently on the roster i think so i think mm-hmm. you probably do I think some combination. I'm mean, like I said. I think Jackson is assuming he returns is a starter, and I would be. I don't know. I'm not sure what would be pushing him after this season to think he couldn't do better after next season. So we'll see. Some guys. We'll see. Um, but between all those other guys that you mentioned, like I, like you start talking about someone like Shabola, and he plays off of of so many guys. And uh, whether that's Fryer, whether that's Montgomery, like there is some there's some mix and matches there with guys who could probably play multiple positions. And like you said, it's just a matter of finding what's the best fit for them. Um, what it what I don't see right now, which it, he's maybe the closest thing to it, but but not really, is what you had with Paris Johnson in 21 which was, well, this guy has to play. Like, this guy's one of our mm-hmm. five best offensive linemen. Now, and he absolutely has to play, but, like, where would we put him? Like, what is the what makes the best sense here? And you, you got into pretty late in the preseason camp that year without, like, a firm uh, decision on who was going to be where, and then it, it finally came together. So who's, like, maybe, like, that's what they kind of need between now and the end of the spring or the start of preseason camp. Like, who is really, like, pushing the envelope and saying like, you can't ignore me. Like I have to be out there. 
That's it feels like that they didn't have that at all last spring with like anybody. And if you, you know, assuming that Jackson and Jones are pretty much locked into spots, I don't think they ever felt that way about Hensman, about uh, Fryer or Simmons. And it was just a matter of trying to come up with the five best guys. I think they've got to, they, they need someone to step up and sort of demand, like, I'm one of your five best guys. You have to find, like, I absolutely have to be on the field. And, and then once you get enough of those guys, uh, it's, it's better to have to try to find the fit than to try to fit someone in who is just the best of the undesirable options. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, you know, when you talk about the guards, I think you've can you can figure something out whether it's Fryer and Jackson, whether it's Jackson and Shibola, um, whether you find a center and it's Hinsman. You can figure out, I think, where you're at with guard, and I think this kind of goes to my. Um, this goes to what I was saying about about tackle. Uh, if you bring in a tackle, and that tackle starts at left tackle, does can Josh Simmons play guard? I don't know. Do you want Josh Simmons to back up at tackle? I I think that you can figure out your interior guard positions, your interior positions as whole. But I think you could probably figure out your your guard positions. Um, you know, if if you bring in a guy on the edge, so. Yeah, I, I think you're at some kind of, you know, some kind of grab bag of, of two. Uh, I wouldn't turn down a transfer. I think that that should be kind of stated for a blanket statement for tackle, guard, or center. If you can find somebody that you like at any position, all right. You know, may, maybe if you like, if, they, if uh, just as a hypothetical, if there were two guards out there that you really liked and you thought that they were better than Donovan Jackson and maybe it's time to tell Donovan Jackson to go play pro, right? You know, I, I think that you, you, you should be looking at this offensive line in every single possible way to upgrade, you know, forget development almost. You, you got to get better along the offensive line or else it could really tank you going into 2024. So yeah, I think that both guards are currently on the roster, but if I were the Buckeyes, I'd be, I'd be looking pretty heavily. I think both guards are on the roster are Texas. 60, excuse me, 51% said only one is. 35% said both are yes. Only 14% said no. Transfer portal to both guards being on the the roster right now. I don't, it's hard, man, because Donovan Jackson wasn't as good this year as maybe I thought he was going to be. Right. He didn't take that leap towards flirting with All-American status the way you would have maybe expected a five-star in his second year to do. That's the way we saw Wyatt Davis do. Now, granted, Wyatt Davis's second year as a starter was his fourth year in the program and not his third year in the program. But also, I don't know how much to fault guards when it is more of a unit thing and you do have to rely more on what other... You're not on an island. So we, we've had this conversation kind of all year about how much did... Carson Hinsman's inexperience and Josh Simmons is, you know, trying to work things out, impact Donovan Jackson. How much did Carson Hinsman and Josh Fryer impact Matthew Jones? So if your tackles are just 15% better next year, how does that impact Donovan Jackson and whoever the other starting guard is in that situation? And maybe we do get a better Donovan Jackson. So because of that, there's moments where I like to be like, the guards weren't that bad. They just... You know, the Michigan game was bad. That that last play from Donovan Jackson was bad. But it's almost like 
a chicken and the egg situation of if you improve the tackles, does it improve the guards? Well, I think there is a, there is a domino effect that could happen. Like if you're just, if you upgrade one spot, like we thought maybe that's, uh, that was the best case scenario with Josh Simmons, right? Mm-hmm. He transfers in over the, at the end of the spring. And like, if he's good enough, then it solves a spot and then allows you to take the two contenders somewhere else and make them, you know, figure out the better of those two. And now you've made that spot better. And I, that didn't really happen. Like right. I mean, he, he got better over the course of the year, uh, a guy. It, it, it's unfortunate that like there were some guys who got put in positions where uh, you can't help, but the, the criticism kind of centered on them at times. Um, but they were put in a, a spot where they were asked to like save Ohio state uh, when that's not normally what Ohio state is built to do. It's supposed to be built to have more security than that. Uh, than rather than just asking guys who are, inexperienced and potentially playing out of position at times to, to do that. So I think that Josh Simmons might be a better right tackle at long-term than he was this mm-hmm. year at left tackle. And if they could find a better left tackle, then yes, I think that there could be a domino effect, but also you've got to remember, like they've been very lucky. I mean, lucky is not the right route, I guess, fortunate. Like when was the last time they had a significant offensive line injury that like kept somebody out, for multiple games. Like they've had a couple of one-offs, but even those have been rare. And I'm talking about going back the whole time I've been here since 2019. Like, I, think I think the closest, they haven't had like, Oh, I'm out injuries, but like Wyatt Davis revealed he was dealing with some stuff. I think in yeah. 2021, like they were like mixing and matching his guy, but to the point of like Matthew Jones had that weird thing going on with his foot last year. But as far as the last time I remember they had an injury where it's like, Oh, this dude's just not on the field was Demetrius Knox in 2018 to your point. Right, so you're getting you're getting six years removed from that, and the thing that like as as shaky as things were on the offensive line this year, imagine if they had sustained like any injury anywhere, like how exposed they would have been. So they've got to get better at the front. They've got to find a better starting five than they ended the year with. But the depth has to be better too. But some of that was going to happen maybe naturally with uh, some of these younger guys that we've been talking about, either jumping up and taking spots or just being more ready to play. But it, it, it either side of that is a problem that is has been lingering too long. So the last one, I, I'm, I'm not going to do the like transfer thing. I just I want to have a Carson Hensman discussion because this is officially weird. Sixty six percent of people said that the Ohio, Ohio State's 2024 starting center is currently on the roster just for the sake of it. But like Carson wasn't always great this year, but there's reason at least. Uh, if a uh, fair reason to believe that part of the reason why he didn't play in the cotton bowl wasn't because of his on field performance and more because he got on this podcast and maybe said some things he wasn't supposed to say. I don't think we can need to hide from that, that he did get on a podcast, maybe said some things he didn't need to say. Next thing we time we saw him, he wasn't playing in the cotton bowl. So it's almost like one plus one equals two, but like he was young he wasn't supposed to technically be their starter this year. Like I said, Luke Whipper threw that math off when he went pro and maybe they weren't expecting that to happen. And he'll also be in year three after having a full year's worth of experience is like anybody. I know Nathan, you always said one spot is like 100%. Well, not even 100%, like maybe 75% Donovan Jackson's, but like, I don't know. Like, are we concerned that much if Carson Hensman's going to keep this job or not? Just when you compare it to other guys who are on the roster right now? Um, I don't think 
if you're a fan, I don't know that you really care who wins any of these jobs yep. on the offensive line. I think you just want them all to be better. So if Carson Hensman can, you know, over the course of this year, if he can take that experience along with what's coming for him in the spring and be better on opening day, then great for Ohio State. If there's somebody else who, with this their own other year of experience, has put themselves in a, in a position to uh, make that the consistent, the, make the performance there more consistent, then that's who Ohio State should go with. Uh, I don't really think that identities are are all that important right now. This isn't a situation where frankly it's like what you've got on the offense or on the in the wide receiver room where uh you have these you've, you've recruited so many high level guys that a year later some of them are leaving and you're worried about retaining this talent like this is not happening in that offensive line room right now it's just not and it's always been a position where that's less of a concern anyway guys guys should take a few years to develop but <sighs> They just need better performance. They just need a, a better performance. Like, and the Cotton Bowl was just so. If, to me, if I'm a fan, the offensive line is the most disheartening part of the Cotton Bowl because it felt like that uh, that whole unit made progress, and then they make this weird starting lineup change, and then on top of that, it was just across the board such a bad performance, and it left you feeling. I remember back in the spring how much how much concern people had and how that seemed to get a little bit alleviated for the start of the year. And then we saw it in games and it wasn't great, but they did make some progress. The pass protection was all right. The running game did get better. Yes. Trevin Henderson came back around the same time, but the blocking did also seem to get demonstrably better. And then to have it all fall out like that makes you feel like, well, did this whole offensive line just go back to square one where it was a year ago? And at the end, going into last spring, or is it is it just as much of a mess as it was then? And if so, is it another like long obstacle that this team's going to have to expend a lot of energy and focus to try to overcome? I think that's what the concern is right now. So throw out the names. You got to just find who are the five most consistent guys, the five guys who could make this offense move the most. Because again, you might be breaking in a brand new quarterback again, appears you will be, and you don't have Marvin Harrison Jr. anymore to bail you out. I think it's going to be interesting to see who's actually playing center, right? Because, I mean, your second option was Matthew Jones. He's graduated. Jacob James and Vic Cutler were your other options. They're in the transfer portal. So, like, I mean, is Josh Patia maybe ready to take a step in year two? Maybe Austin Sierraville? Andrew's ready to take a step in year two? Just when you look at those young – I mean, there's some freshmen in this class. We saw Luke Montgomery this year. Uh, could any of those fresh, freshmen who are getting ready going to their second – off seasons as Ohio State football players, could they potentially step up and, and take a job here? Yeah, I think Ohio State Center actually is on the roster. I think it could be Padilla or Cereveld, like you mentioned. Um, I would lean Hinsman still. Um, and the example that I have been thinking of all year is there was a running joke um, in D.C. with a Washington football player named Reed Dowdy. People would always say, I don't blame Reed Dowdy for being Reed Dowdy. And it was a joke about the front office and the management because Sean Taylor was on the team. Laron Landry was on the team. Laron Landry was a bust. Sean Taylor obviously passed away. They had Reed Dowdy, and they were like, "Well, we we what are we supposed to do? What like what, like we we had a plan, and it just went away. We had that we had something here, and it just it just doesn't work anymore through circumstances out of our control. Some of which were, some of which weren't. And that was kind of the situation that I think Carson Hinsman was placed in this year. Like Carson Hinsman was not 
in the plan. It was not in the plan for him to start in 2023 and kind of play in that kind of big time role that he did. So I'm not going to like, I'm not going to say that Carson Hinsman can't play in 2024 and beyond because like Nathan was saying, the offensive line is such a development position that look, sometimes throwing a guy out there when he's in his first or second year, that just means that dude is really good, right? You know, that just means that that dude can play like an, an Olu Fashanu, a Joe Alt. Like those are guys that play early and you're like, wow, those guys are just good and they got to play. Sometimes you throw dudes out there in their first or their second year because you don't have anybody else, right? Because you don't want to play Vic Cutler at center because you don't want to play anybody else at center. So I think Ohio State center is on the roster. I think this is actually the one position um, where you would look at up front and maybe kind of bank on some improvement and maybe kind of bank on some development happening there because it was never really in the plan for Padilla or Sierveld or Hinsman to play, and you just had to start Hinsman at center. So I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in a center in the portal. I just don't know if it's going to – I just don't think it's going to be a starter. I, I like I wouldn't be surprised if you bring in a backup to to Hinsman or backup to, you know, Padilla or whoever you're going to whoever you're going to start at center. I just I think you can bank on some development happening at center and say, you know what? We were in a tough spot last year. Like you mentioned, Stephen Whipler leaves. We kind of figured we'd be OK at center in 2023 and then you can pass the torch. I think you can you can more or less say we're going to bank on some development on the interior in 2020. Surely going to be an interesting offseason for the offense. Maybe the most interesting we've seen in a while here where you talk about the fact that you're throwing a quarterback battle on top of all the other position battles that may be on the table for Ohio State. So get the text 614-350-3315 as this all continues to play out over the next nine months here. We're going to text it to you first. We're going to do a lot of other stuff with it, of course, but we're going to text it to you first. I mentioned earlier, hey, when we walk in there for spring practice, who do you think the starting wide receivers might be that day? Well, guess what? When we walk in there for that practice, we're going to text it to you first who we see that day, plus much more than that. Two-week free trial, three ninety nine. after that. That's the offensive side of things. We'll do the defensive side of things for the Friday pod. And then Monday pod, man. Bring him Monday, mark him down Monday back. We're not marking anything down. We're actually just going to see where we were wrong and where we were right this season for the 2023 year. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I am Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>